Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian podcast. So great to be with you today. I am Dr. Fujian Zain. I'm the psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And our conversation is about what matters most in our lives, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships. Today, our business and work and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. For all of your beautiful souls that you have asked me about the latest books that I have written with my coworkers and um, different books about awareness integration, I want to share them with you because I think they are important for you to know and how to get them. Um, the latest one is Intentional Parenting, a practical guide to awareness integration theory. It's um, written um, by my co-authors, co Nicole, Dr. Nicole Jaffari and Dr. Eileen Manukian. Intentional Parenting, it says a practical guide, pr practically it's a practical guide, which uh, we have taken every single a chapter from infancy all the way to uh, young adulthood. And um, I've shown you um, cognitive development, um, physical development, and how you can use the awareness integration theory, whether you are a parent or whether you are an educator, a teacher, how you can use this method um, with your children and, um, and students in different phases and see how much um, as far as emotional regulation, cognitive development, that's going to be helpful. Now, for all of you therapists and coaches who are interested in learning about the awareness integration theory, here it is, the book Awareness Integration Therapy. Clear the past, create a new future, and live a fulfilled life. Um, and if you like also to become a certified um, coach or a therapist in AIT, let me know. This is a book for you. But also we create seminars uh, for you to become certified because um, the Fujian app is going to come probably in a couple of months. And we need all of you wonderful clinicians and coaches to be able to be ready to support people who are going to get this app and work uh, through the app. But I'm sure that a lot of them probably also need more than just an app when they're wanting to go deeper or they have childhood issues and so forth. So I'm sure that um, they could use your wonderful skills. In this episode today, I am so excited to chat with Dr. William Rothwell. He is a professor in the Masters of Professional Studies in Organization Development and Change Program, and also in the PhD Program of Workforce Education and Development at the Pennsylvania State University. He has authored and co-authored, edited and co-edited, guess what, 158 books since 1987. Today, we will be talking about his latest book with his co-author, Dr. Bernard Bachande. The book is High Performance Coaching for Managers. I truly enjoyed our conversation and I'm positive you will too. Now subscribe um, to my podcast, to this one, my YouTube channel, and uh, connect with me through my website, bujanzain.com, or through any of the social medias that you like. Now, for some of you who do like self-help, um, guess what? You can definitely go to my book, Life Reset, 
the awareness integration path to um, create the life you want. That and you can find it in Amazon or on my website. And um, for that, you can actually go through the chapters by yourself, journal, and have an amazing result for your life. Now, um, here it is. We're ready to talk about performance management. Dr. William Ralph, well, it is so nice to have you with me. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Um, Bill, we're going to be talking about your latest book, The Performance Coaching for Managers. Uh, it's an amazing book. I had uh, the privilege of um, talking to your co-author, Dr. Behan Marchandin, kind of went through the book once. And then as I was getting prepared to um, have you on the show, I went over and looked at it again. It is a wealth of amazing information and systematically putting the information um, for managers in a way that they could uh, explain, work through. It has all the assessments, it has forms, it has um, all of it where someone can really take on and move forward. A um, couple of things about the model that you have created I think the first question is, why should managers act as coaches? Okay, well, that's a great question. My experience has been that many managers find themselves forced to do coaching because they face either behavioral problems with their employees, examples of behavior, behavioral issues would be attendance, tardiness issues, um, that sort of thing. And then job performance issues where the employee is not meeting the production requirements or the service delivery requirements of the organization. And when that happens, many managers are at somewhat of a loss as to what to do. We heard the term coaching thrown around a lot, but very few managers have actually had skill-based training in how to do coaching. So that means that they are at somewhat of a disadvantage, those managers, when they face dealing with either behavioral or job performance issues with their direct reports or anyone in the organization. Absolutely. Um, I remember um, when I had my company, um, about 60 employees, what was interesting is I had clients, I'm a therapist, so I had clients and working clients. But interestingly enough, it felt like I had to do therapy with employees that they were there because exactly as you said, one of the things that I saw a lot, and because I also work with family systems, it was that employees, um, they bring their family system into their work because they're working eight to 10 hours with the same group, you know, and if they had sibling rivalry issues, it will be there. You know, if they had, if they were the, 
um, eldest child of a family, they usually knew kind of like how to manage everybody else. If they were the youngest of the family and everybody was given things to them, they kind of brought the same uh, way of being into work. And it was interesting how you could look at the family system and see how they're going to be performing in a corporate world and with other people. So when you said, you know, managers have to deal with personality issues and, you know, kind of like, you know, sibling rivalry between uh, mm -hmm. their employees. Uh, absolutely. That is so true. Um, can you please define coaching uh, and into the world of high performance uh, coaching and especially in, um, in, in, in a company? As you said, the coaching if for most of us, the first thing we think about is that we are getting people ready to do something as coaches, mm -hmm. right? Like you know, sports coaches, that's what we do. Um, uh, co life coaches, that's what we do. And do you mean the same thing when we're working with managers being coaches to their employees or is it something else? Well, I think broadly stated, coaching is all about a helping relationship. And in that respect, it is very much like counseling, but coaching is somewhat geared toward finding a solution to those issues. And we, we like to talk about two broad philosophical approaches to the coaching process. One we call the non-directive approach where we use the coach uses questions to pull out of the individual they are helping uh, their own answers to their own problems. And that looks a lot like the counseling approach following the methods of Carl Rogers, uh, humanistic psychology. But there is another approach that we can use to coaching that we call directive coaching. And in directive coaching, it's based on the expertise of the coach knowing more than the person they are trying to help and giving them guidance on what to do to close the gap between what is happening, the actual, and what should be happening, the ideal. And how can we close that gap? The, in the case of the manager behaving as performance coach, it's assumed that the manager has a better grasp than the worker does of how to close gaps between what the worker is doing and what the company or the organization needs that worker to do to meet the production standards or follow the work rules of the organization. So in that sense, to me, coaching is, and the sense of performance coaching is all about directive coaching. And the best application of that may be during formal performance reviews where the manager looks at the worker's track record over the previous year and the targets that were set at the beginning of the year. And when there's a disconnect between the targets set and the results achieved, 
it begs the question, how do we go forward and close that gap? And so that's where performance coaching comes in to help the worker. The performance coach, the manager provides detailed guidance on exactly what to do. So that's a little different from say the counseling process. Well, definitely there's a, a, a lot. And I think that part of it also, as I sense it is that um, on a level of a, of a coach, it seems like the person has their own um, goal and the coach is supporting them to get the goal done. The, the part I'm assuming that also happens in a company is that could it be that the goal of the company for that role might be a little bit different than the goal of the person? Is that where it could be a non-match or that creates the gap? To some extent, research has been done on that, particularly about job descriptions. And as we know, many times the way job descriptions are written is that the worker resigns and then the manager is told by the HR department, before we can recruit a replacement to fill that vacancy, we need you to write a job description so that we know what that worker will do and we can try to locate the best person to carry out that job. The, unfortunately, the research says that there's a 50% difference of opinion between what the manager regards as important in a job and what the job incumbent, the person doing the job, believes is important in the job. And if the job incumbent has already resigned and left the company, then we're left with the manager's knowledge, which is only 50% of the relevant information. So the job description then is based on only 50% of what's important. And HR goes out and tries to recruit with only 50% of the information. And we could see that that could lead to problems. And I could also see that as um, any job progresses in any company that it might not be stale years after years that the job the job by, by itself I mean if the company is dynamic the job by itself will be also dynamic that yeah. for some, that somehow in that um, there might not be necessarily a lot of alignment again with the movement of the company and resetting goals for the company and what somebody has come into a job and um, is, has promised to do with the job or that they're they're done like you know after a couple of years uh, the the person themselves they want to hold on to the job but they might not be doing their performance their best performance because they're no longer motivated or bored at the job but something happens that they're just those two are not aligned anymore that's true we spend a lot of time in organizations trying to identify the best fit to hire or to promote, but quite often we don't spend that same level of effort when it comes to the annual performance review, where we are looking at how well that individual 
is carrying out the duties of his or her job from year to year or from quarter to quarter or even from day to day. So we must have a way to do that and bring into alignment what we expect versus what's actually happening with each worker. So that's really the goal of performance coaching right. is to try to narrow those gaps. So um, Dr. Rothwell, what are the elements of the human performance? So for a manager to be looking at um, their employees and looking at, you know, as a human being, how they could perform better? How could they motivate them? How could they assess it? And I, and I know that you have a lot of amazing wealth of information in your book about that. Well, the book is based on a simple model. And I developed that model not from academic research, but from real world experience. And if I might, I'll tell you the story about it, and then I can describe the model. But many years ago, I worked in a large insurance company. And one day, my boss, the VP of Human Resources, came into my office, and I was the director of management development. And he said, Bill, I need you to create a course in employee corrective action. And I said, why? The company has a very clear policy on corrective action. The first time the employee does something wrong, the manager or supervisor should give them an oral warning. And the second time that problem occurs, the manager or supervisor should write it up in a written warning. And the third time it happens, the employee should be suspended without pay for three days. And the fourth time it happens, according to company policy that our supervisors are quite aware of because it's in their handbook, they are uh, to dismiss the employee, terminate. What's confusing about that? Isn't it very clear? My boss said, I wish it were that clear. I said, well, you know, I'm new to the company. I'm curious, in a company of 4,000 employees, could you share with me how many employees have been fired due to bad job performance in the last few years? He said, I don't need to look it up. I can tell you the answer, zero. And I said, well, that's that must mean that the company has an amazing track record of picking winners. And my boss looked disgusted and said, no, it simply means our managers don't know how to legally, morally, and ethically fire people. And that's what we need to review. We need to move from the policy as it is written in the book to the way it is actually carried out. So I called in one of my direct reports. I had 17 people reporting to me in the HR department. And this person was a had been a supervisor in the company for 20 years. She knew the corporate culture cold. I said, I'm new to the company, help me out. 
why is he suddenly asking for this kind of course? And she said, oh, I have someone you have to meet. So she took me up to the fourth floor of this huge corporate headquarters and introduced me to a young lady who was about, I guess, 25 and sat down and I explained to her what my boss had asked me to do. And I said, could you shed light on why I'm suddenly being asked to deal with developing a course on corrective action? And she said, yes, I, I know exactly why he's asking it. She said, it's my fault. It's because of my experience that is leading to this request. I said, well, please tell me the backstory. What's the background? She said, well, a week ago, I walked into my work unit and there were two ladies fighting, two women fighting with each other. And it says in the employee handbook that all employees get that there is no excuse for physical violence and that the normal rules of employee discipline are suspended when there is violence in the workplace. They should be dismissed immediately. So that's what I did. I fired both of them and sent them home and told them that their belongings would be sent later. She said they weren't gone but a few hours and I got a phone call from the VP of HR, your boss. And he said, I want you to call them back, apologize and restore their jobs and restore their back pay because the CEO does not want them fired. And she said, well, why? They clearly violated company policy. And he, he said, well, one of the ladies was black and one lady was white. And we don't want it leaked to the public that we might have racial problems in the workplace. So we'll hire them back so that they won't make a lot of noise complaining that might show up in the newspapers. So I said, oh, I see now, political, it's political. She said, yes, but it's also a violation of company policy. The policy is in black and white. It's black letter rules that there's no excuse for violence. And by backing up on company policy, we're basically telling supervisors that they don't know what the company will back them on and what the company won't back them on. So I said, well, yeah, you're right. I said, there shouldn't be uh, confusion on when to apply clear-cut policies in the company. So I said, I'm curious, when you have a problem with an employee and you don't know what to do about it, where do you go in the company? for help. And she said, well, that's very interesting you ask me that question because I know that I can shop for the right answer. I said, what do you mean shop? She said, well, there's three places I can go in the company to get an answer on employee disciplinary issues. 
I can go to the company legal department. I can go to the HR department, or I can go to my own boss's boss. And I will get an authoritative answer from any one of those three places. But I will get different answers depending on the situation. So she said, I know who's the easiest, that's HR. I know who is the toughest, that's my boss's boss. So depending on what I wanna do, I will go to the group that will give me the answer I'm looking for. I said, that is ridiculous. There should be one right answer that is consistent throughout the company. She said, well, you're right, but if wishes were horses, all men would ride. You know, there's, we, we, we have the world as it is and the world that we wish we had. I said, okay, you gave me ideas and you told me the backstory on why we need a course in employee discipline. So then I went back to my office and I wrote up a survey that I sent out to all of the employer, uh, managers, supervisors, and executives. And I asked them to describe for me the most difficult uh, HR problem they'd ever faced in their career. What's the most difficult employee discipline case they had ever handled in their life in the company. And so we had 300 managers, supervisors, and executives. I bet I got a 90% response rate. 90% of them answered, even very senior executives answered that question. And when they came back, I was able to sort those problems into 35 people problems. 35 major people problems, ranging from easy ones like tardiness up to very difficult ones like uh, sexual harassment, like racial harassment, like stealing from the company but unable to prove it, and many other similar kinds of issues. And so then I thought, I need a model that I can teach people that could be used to help managers deal not just with these 35 areas, but also people problems as they come up day to day. It needs to be something very practical. So that's how I came up with the model that guides this book. So the, so the steps in the model are very simple. It starts out when the manager has a problem with a worker. The first step is describe exactly what is happening, what is, and then describe what should be happening. That's the target. And I've found many times managers aren't clear on what they want. And then we identify the gap how do we measure that? Is it important? How important is the gap? Then what's the cause of the gap? What are the different ways we could close the gap? So we brainstorm possible ways to close the gap. 
then we identify the most feasible or most practical way to close that gap. And then we talk about implementation. That's the basic model. And it's, it's more or less a basic problem solving model. Yeah, it goes from a disciplinarian model. It goes into an inquiring and looking and collaborative and working together. So it's not just an authoritative, you know, top to bottom level um, and which results in um, the employees not being motivated to do a lot more and, uh, you know, um, automatically, sometimes subconsciously, sometimes consciously, you know, having a rebellion concept with it. But this way, it seems like it's such a collaborative and respectful uh, way of looking at uh, bringing the goals together. So the goals of the company, the goals of the management, and the goals of the, goals of the employee, uh, bringing them together and then finding a way of clarifying more than anything what those goals are and what are the steps to get there. Absolutely. And we also found as we I built the course that I was asked to build, and we used those 35 categories of people problems and trained the managers, supervisors, and executives on a consistent approach. We got the legal department, the HR department, and the production department to uh, come up with a consistent approach to deal with those 35 major problem areas with people. We approached it very much like medical doctors approach diagnosing illnesses. So it's a basic protocol and that's what we're calling performance coaching. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to find out what's going on, get very clear about the gap, the difference between what is and what should be, and then work with the individual worker to get agreement on next steps to close those gaps. So we also found that it was useful to come up with a, a feedback form. At first, we called it a corrective action form, but we discovered that there are positive gaps Sometimes people exceed our expectations. So when we do coaching, we don't want to just focus on what's wrong. We also want to recognize when people go far better than what the company requires them to do. And we want to document that too, because strengths are just as important, if not more so, and weaknesses. So we can build on those when we know what they are. What do you think the root causes of these gaps are? As you've done so much research, um, is it that it, it's the goals, is it that the company moves forward and the goals are unclear? Or partly you, you shared where the job description that the manager and the company is requesting where they think they are, is sometimes different than when somebody and employees actually doing the, the work. And uh, there's so many other things there that they need, but the um, communication path is not open um, 
kind of for them to talk about. And therefore, um, when managers are open to this system of getting feedback, working together and looking at these angles, at least they'll find out more and more in what the employee needs versus just what the company needs, but what the employee needs to meet and get aligned to those goals. What other routes um, do you, have you noticed about those gaps, the causes of those gaps? If you're asking me what, what are the most likely culprits or reasons for performance problems, I can list several. Uh, based on my experience, I used to, after I delivered that training program that I described, I found that managers, executives, and supervisors would frequently come to me in my office and ask for help with people problems that went beyond the 35 areas where they had been trained. And there's where the model came in helpful. There's where the feedback sheet came in helpful. But I found from experience that I would start my questioning with two issues. The first was, what kind of training did the worker get when they were first hired mm -hmm. or first promoted? And the second issue was, was there clarity between the manager supervisor or executive between the, their expectations and how well they had communicated those to the worker that they felt had problems. So in other words, two areas I started with, I checked on whether the worker had gotten the proper training when they started the job. And I heard many excuses from managers oh, I'm sorry, we didn't get around to it. We never really trained them properly. We were so busy. We had backlogs. We didn't have time to train them. Well, you know, my boss used to say, if managers aren't doing their jobs properly, let's start with firing them instead of the worker they're complaining about. So, we'd say, okay, well, if training was the problem, then we have to redo it. So the first step is you need to go back to basics and give them the training and document it that you gave them the proper starting point on which to build their skills. That was point one. The second area that I looked at was how clearly they communicated the performance targets. And very often that too was a problem. The manager never said, well, we expect X number of widgets done on a daily basis. We expect you to do A, B, and C. And so if the worker had never been informed of what the performance expectations were, how could they live up to those? So we'd say, well, put that in writing, and then there's going to be no, no excuse for a misinterpretation. We will have documentation of what you said. But there has been research done on the root causes of human performance problems. 
and you might find that research of interest. Similar or related to that question, how many ways can human performance go wrong and what are the root causes of that? It's very similar to the same problem medical doctors face. How many ways can the human body go wrong? Well, just think about it. It must be billions of different ways. You know, your blood could have problems, your, each of your body parts could have a problem, your nerves, your bones, all the parts of the body. And all of those taken together, there can be a combination of factors. It could be a nerve interacting with another system like your bones that create a body problem. So research has actually been done on this about job performance. And the answer is 360 factorial ways human job performance can go wrong. Every day. <laughs> 360 factorial. If you know that mathematical term, a factorial is one times two times three times four, all the way up to 360. And that ends up being a number so big, you can't type it into a calculator. And yet, managers are not trained on how to diagnose problems with human job performance. Mm. You know, I have an MBA degree, and when I was in MBA school, I once asked one of my business professors, could you tell me what I'm trained to do when I graduate? When I get my MBA, what am I trained to do? And he said, be a stockbroker. <laughs> I said, what? I said, I, I want to manage human beings. Are you telling me that this degree won't train me to manage human beings? He said, no, it won't. Why would you think it does? So there's a disconnect between the view in business that an MBA degree is a, a, sing, a signal that you are professionally qualified to be a manager. But there's more than one way to be qualified for a job that's very big. So being a stockbroker could be one of the jobs you could get with that degree. But managing human beings might be another job and for that, you are not well-equipped. So that's why we need a book like the one we wrote on performance coaching. It provides that missing link that many managers were never trained on by their business. And they, if they have a business degree, they may not have been trained on that in business school. So that's my viewpoint. And that's why this book, we're so excited about it. We think it can really help managers deal with the kind of problems they face with human performance. And that's really important today 
we have something going on called the Great Resignation. Yeah. Where many workers are quitting their jobs. In the U.S., that's quite a factor. And then we, in China, and I've been to China 83 times, in China, they have another trend going on called the let it rot trend. Let it rot means workers say the system is bad and we will not help it get better. It's the fault of the people above us that there are problems. So let it rot. And that's their viewpoint. A lot of American workers have a similar viewpoint. They think that most of the company's problems are caused by the management of the organization. And they question whether those can be fixed. You might've heard that most people quit their bosses, not their jobs. Yes, and um, you know, bosses and management obviously creates the context of what the system, how the system runs, and then therefore other people come into the system and utilize it. So the context of what they bring, whether it's um, system oriented or their psychological aspects of it really, really helps in how to create that context. But what is the difference in, for your book um, is it for any structure of management? Is it for top executives plus mid-management um, and uh, for small businesses, you know, up to, I don't know, uh, 25 people and large organization of Fortune 500? How does your book um, fit in these types of different types of companies? Well, the model, it should be universal in the sense that uh, it, it, it deals with human performance. So if we're talking about other kinds of performance, like machine performance or capital performance, it's not appropriate. But when it comes to managing human beings, uh, there are many similarities and similar problems we will encounter regardless of the type of organization whether it's business, government, nonprofit, whether it is a global company or a small business, whether it is a family-owned business or a corporate entity. Uh, human beings are human beings. Yes, there may be cultural issues that may sometimes come up, but I believe the model itself will help work through those. The model that I described in the book that we can use to deal with diagnosing what's going on with behavioral or job performance problems. So I think managers in many different venues would find the book useful. Beautiful. Um, when you are looking at uh working um, like if the managers are taking this book and go through <laughs> the system um, when they you you've given them specific tools in how to go um, you've even uh, put some forms there so you've given them everything in this book in 
how to um, not only work on themselves, which I think some of that Dr. Osobachan that brings into it, work on themselves and looking at what they're, what are they doing? How are they being? What is it that they're bringing into the system? And then looking at how to be, be there for their employee and to bring this whole concept into a unit, into a unity versus, you know, different, different parts of the unit, which are not necessarily working in a cohesive way together. Right. Yes, well, that's true. And we can look at not just individual performance, but the team's performance or the work group's performance. We can have a, a team maybe more than the sum of its respective parts. There can be a synergy to a team where people can work together and get better results than they would individually. Or the flip side could be true, where teams might lead to more problems than, they, than they're worth. So, that, so we can use the model with groups as well as with individuals. Beautiful. Um, Dr. Rothwell, anything we haven't shared that you really want our audience to know about your model, about the book? Well, there's one step of the model. You recall that I said that the book itself, the model is uh, a basic problem-solving model. But there's one special step in the model that is not typically covered in many problem-solving approaches. And that is after you've determined what you believe the best solution is to the behavioral or job performance problem that's been identified, the model asks the manager to consider any unintended side effects that may stem from implementing the solution. And I've found that in many cases, that's an area that managers too often forget. What I mean is a problem comes up, the manager throws a solution at it, and then the solution sometimes creates new problems. And that's because we didn't think forward. If I had done, if I do this, what will be the likely side effects? You know, medical doctors know this idea. When a doctor uh, diagnoses your problems and prescribes medicine, the doctor will say, now, when you use this medicine, there are certain known side effects. Like I could go to the doctor and say, oh, I've got a headache. The doctor prescribes aspirin. Well, aspirin will probably cure my headache, but aspirin is known to create stomach upset. So sometimes the solution can create new problems. And the model invites the manager to think forward. In other words, if we implement this solution with this worker or with this team, what will be the likely side effects 
And how can we avoid those or minimize their impact? That's something a little different from what you might expect, but it's pretty important to do that. You know, earlier in my life, I was a chess master and I learned from the game of chess to think forward. You think, well, if I move my piece, what will my opponent do? And then how will I counter that? Chess masters think forward. And that's what today's managers also need to do if they're to be effective and end up not creating more problems than they solve. You know, W. Edwards Deming, the great quality guru, once said, management creates most of its own problems. And he was talking about that issue where managers will throw a solution at a problem without thinking through the likely consequences of their solution. So that's in my model too. That's in our model. And we believe that will help managers be more effective in day-to-day work as a supervisor, a manager, or an executive. We're talking about the wonderful book of high performance um, coaching for managers, a step-by-step approach to increase employee performance and productivity by Dr. William Rothwell and Dr. Behnam Bachandet. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's an amazing book. Um, and I think that is such a solid model for people, managers to utilize it for betterment of their uh, company and moving forward. So thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Where can people find the book? Amazon well, one. Amazon, of course, and you can also go to Rutledge, the, the publisher, and you'll find it on their website for purchase as well. And we really believe it will help supervisors, managers, and executives. And where can they find you, Dr. Rockwell? Well, I am in the state of Pennsylvania. And if you want me to type my email into the chat box, I could do that. No, I will put that for people to, I will put the, if you could, yes, I have your email and I will definitely put it for people to be able to connect with you. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for the time that you've allowed with us. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.